0: Welcome to Every Quarter, The Voice of Andover, Phillips Academy's official podcast where we share the compelling stories and ideas of our faculty, alumni, students, and distinguished campus guests. Our monthly show features candid conversations on current events, academia, and Andover's connection to important matters happening around the world. If you like what we do, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a review, comment, and rating. Your feedback helps promote every quarter and helps us tell the type of stories you want to hear. For the past three decades, George Smith Jr., class of 1983, has specialized in covering the intersection of sports and society. While at ESPN in the 2000s, Smith was the go-to reporter on breaking stories like Kobe Bryant's sexual assault case, Michael Vick's dogfighting ring, and the Duke Lacrosse investigation. In this episode of Every Quarter, Smith talks with Director of Communication Tracy Sweet about his broadcast journalism career and the evolution of the business. He also recounts how he started off in the field, how social media has changed the game, and how he's hopeful for a potential on-camera interview with fellow alum and New England
1: Patriots coach
0: Bill Belichick, class of 1971.
1: I wanted to ask you about, you know, you've interviewed a number of athletes, you've covered the Olympics, you've covered pro sports, you've covered all-star games, um, you know, World Series, and. Uh, there's a tough nut to crack that is a a fellow alum of yours um, in Bill Belichick. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a room where you're one of the reporters interviewing him. Probably not, unless it was a Super Bowl coverage. I've covered the
2: Patriots um, in a a group setting. Okay. And uh, and have asked a question or two in a group setting. I've tried to get him one-on-one. When I was at ESPN, I tried and did not get him. And of course, I've seen him at Andover events and he's always cordial and um, when, when he declined my request when I was at ESPN, he wrote me a very polite handwritten note when the season was over, yes. saying that you know he wasn't going to do uh, an interview for SportsCenter, but. Um, I still love the city. So down that's
1: interesting. So that's where I want to. So, thinking now, knowing what we know about how Bobelichuk conducts his interviews, just writ large, and there are times, I mean, he has his, when he's back at Andover, he's a joy and he is a delight with the students here. Mm-hmm. He does tons of stuff for this school. Um, but it's so interesting to see that dynamic with reporters. Yeah. What would you do? What would you ask him if you had that opportunity? I have no
2: idea. You know, I, I think I would not talk a whole lot about. Football, or maybe not necessarily about him and the Patriots. I might talk about the history of football, people he admires, um, influences on him. I think he would be more yeah. likely to talk about that. Uh, I also think just he's a really fascinating person outside of football. I mean, the, the friends he has, the people he knows, the music he likes. Yep. I mean, he's an interesting guy. And there's a great little story. There was it was years ago. He was here on campus for a Friends of Ath- Andover Athletics event, and my friend Kent Lucas and I were here. And this was before, right before he became coach of the Patriots. We gave him a ride back into Boston, and we just for 45 minutes awesome. had Belichick in our car, just the, my my buddy and I talking to him, yeah. and just you know stuff I'd never talk about. But it was it was a great conversation, yeah. and he's totally different from what you see on TV. it's really
1: phenomenal it's, yeah. it's fantastic to witness that and to know what a, mm-hmm. an amazing human being he is and what he's done for this school for the sport yes how his mind works um, his partnership with Ernie Adams and mm-hmm. the class 71 and, and that pairing so cross
2: I mean you right. could, I would probably talk about everything but football awesome
1: <laughs> um, so let's talk about a little bit of um, Andover and um, were you a Philippian writer did you I was not a Philippian writer
2: I wrote I co-wrote maybe one article with John Kim who was my year um, and never never really wrote for the Philippian but as soon as I got to college okay I started writing for the Oberlin review for the school yeah. paper. we had a weekly paper
1: so what was it about the idea that you could have these conversations and um, and how did you make that weave into a professional life for yourself and you started in print right
2: I started in print and actually when I was here um, Mr. Sykes, Elwin Sykes, recommended that I do this urban journalism workshop at Suffolk University in Boston. Yeah. So one summer, uh, I did that, and that sort of sparked my my interest, my initial interest in, in reporting. And so when I went to college, I started doing uh, the school paper. Then I did internships every mm-hmm. summer during college. So really, the, the sort of first spark yep. in journalism was was Mr. Sykes leading me to that urban journalism workshop.
1: Nice, and then taking it in, in all which ways. And then in terms of students here and advice you'd give them, a lot of students would say, "I'm going to major in broadcast journalism mm-hmm. or something like that." And I would love to know about the foundational elements of just knowledge mm-hmm. that you need to succeed, um, whether it's deep sports reporting or um, political reporting. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, that that um, education. I, I
2: think the the most important thing for any of them is to be able to write well, whether it's news, sports, or politics, and then and then to listen and ask questions and you know be inquisitive. Um, I don't think you have to major in broadcast journalism, say, to be in television. You know, I went to Oberlin College. There was no, there there wasn't a journalism program. Um, There wasn't really even a communications program. Mm -hmm. So I was an English Lit major. I took a lot of history, liberal arts, and I got my experience through internships. And I would say that along all the years I've been in this business, the number of people that I've seen as, say, journalism majors or broadcast majors, half of them never get into the business. So I don't think you have to do that. I don't think that's necessarily the way to go. I think if you have a good education, good internships, you know, you can go about it anyway. And I I still think that, um, you know, being able to write is probably the most important thing. And then then being open to moving around and going where you need to go and not necessarily saying, I want to start in New York or Boston and I'm going to work my way up. I think it's far easier to go Mm -hmm. somewhere smaller Get some experience and then come back to the bigger cities. That's your
1: portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking so along those lines, you've been in the business for a couple of decades now. You've seen it evolve. You've been from print to um, broadcast. Now there's this digital evolution of news and the 24-hour news cycle. How does that affect your reporting mm-hmm. and the way you do your work, knowing that the switch has to always be on?
2: It's, it's completely different I mean I, you know the last couple television stations I, I've worked for have been just obsessed with social media yeah so particularly with Facebook but, but but everything Twitter and and to a lesser degree Instagram so they you're constantly posting so even if I'm say at a a practice for yeah. you know the Bears or something like that it's not just the story that I'm gonna do at five and nine o'clock at night on the news it's tweeting out what they say at press conferences like immediately. What do they say? What do they say? Get it out there. Get it yeah. out there. And, uh, you know, pictures of, of practice. So you're just constantly trying to feed the beast and yep. and put content out there. And so, you know, you you almost have to be thinking about, uh, you know, all the different avenues and not just the one story that you're going to do for TV. Yeah,
1: it's a lot. And something that a question that leads to is something that I heard yesterday, a little like, you know, the left ear listening to sports radio. And there was some rumor about Rob Gronkowski that was kind of circulating that a non-journalist, I'll call it like a citizen journalist, tweeted or put on social media about his future Mm -hmm. being in question um, with the Pats. My question isn't about that so much, but in general, fake sports news. Right. How do you decide what's worthy when you're under the gun to produce content?
2: Yeah. And I, you know, and people have gotten burned on stuff like that repeatedly. And I'd rather not report it than report it and get it wrong. So that's my personal point of view. And I mean, you know, you'd really have to know who the source is, you know, who's, Putting this information out there, how credible are they? Are you are, are, Is it a beat writer? Is it a columnist who's got some insight yep. or, or something like that? So I think you really just have to be careful, and you know, so so much of your instinct is just to oh to, to retweet what you see out there yeah. or, 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 or just run with that news, but you really do have to verify everything, and that's the problem now with with the with the 24/7 news cycle mm-hmm. and the immediacy of things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You know there there isn't that level of checks Mm -hmm. that you that you used to go through years ago in the business
1: yeah and well if you could sort of change that to a little (laughs) bit of the best of both worlds you know you you are you're tweeting you're expected to do these things Mm -hmm. on the fly when you're also trying to compose a deeper a deeper story that's a little more meaningful than 140 plus characters so what would be sort of your ideal world for journalism sports reporting um it's we the, could hit that
2: that's a good question i mean i think um you know i, I get that the world has changed and, I, and the immediacy and we want the the information at our fingertips and we want to get it as fast as possible but i'm still old school in that i'd rather you know not not be the first to report it. I mean, i'd rather report it correctly yeah um, yeah so I guess that's my
1: fault. My that comes from Andover, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knowledge and goodness. Um, I would love to hear about some favorite sports personalities you've covered throughout your career and what made them yeah. a favorite.
2: I have a, well, I have a couple stories that just jump out. Um, one is um, I was at an NBA playoff game, finals game, or something, and Charles Barkley comes over to me and says, you know, you're doing a great job. This is during my time at ESPN. Uh, you're doing a great job. I think you, you know, really good. You represent well. Exchange numbers with him. And since then, have have gotten together with him three or four, three times, I guess, over the years in various cities. And he's just so much fun to hang out with. Uh, he's, he's very generous. Um, you know, you go to a restaurant, he pays the tab. You know, there are all sorts of people around who want to take pictures. And he's more than happy to do that. I remember being in New Orleans, and I, and I ran into him down there and he was going uh, out to a couple different places, and he just walked through the streets of New Orleans. He's not in a car, like, he's, and he's people are screaming at him, Charles Barkley, as he's walking down the street. So I've just, I've had some, some fun moments with him, and uh, like I said, he's very generous. Uh, the other interesting story is, you know, I covered the uh, U.S. men's Olympic basketball team, particularly in in 08 and 2012, and Coach K was, was the uh, Olympic coach, so before the 12 games, I went to Durham to do a one-on-one interview with him. And, you yep. know, I had covered Duke Lacrosse, so I was yep. uh, fairly familiar with, with Duke and, and what was going on there. So I do this long half-hour sit-down with Coach K. And, you know, it turned out great. We used it when the Olympics came on. And then I covered him day in and day out when they were playing their games. So then I leave ESPN at the end of 2012, and I'm in Cleveland. And... All of a sudden, one day out of the blue, I get an envelope from Duke, and it's a letter, handwritten note from Coach K, saying, you know, heard you heard you moved on, you know, good uh-huh. luck in your, your you know your new spot, and you're trustworthy. Um, so that was really nice, handwritten note from him, and a bunch of uh, Duke T-shirts Sweet. inside. So uh, so I was a Coach K fan before that. Yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of yeah. people don't like Duke. I've always liked Duke, and and now even more so because of that.
1: Nice. What have been some of the toughest stories you've covered in terms of sports stories that yeah. you wish you hadn't had to cover?
2: Well, I, I don't know that I wish yeah. I hadn't had to cover them, but that were very challenging. Yeah. I mean, the Duke lacrosse case comes to mind, um, Michael Vick's dog fighting, um, Kobe Bryant's um, mm. you know sexual assault case. So, uh, I'll start with the Duke one. That was just you know one of the most interesting cases to cover and all the dynamics with sports and race and class and all those different things rolled up into one and then just the public pressure that was on the administration at Duke to do something. And then in the end, you know, it turns out that the district attorney was pushing a false narrative and this woman apparently made up, you know, picked names out of a lineup. And so all of the twists and turns of that case and that was just fascinating the cover. I spent more than a year covering that and and the Kobe Bryant case was interesting too Um, you know such a high-profile guy and I was flying back and forth to Eagle Vale for you know more than a year covering that case as well and it's also an interesting side note that I've since that case ended um, you know they, they settled civilly right and they dropped the criminal charge settled civilly and I've interviewed Kobe a couple of times since then including once I think it was 2012 during the... uh, No, it was 2008 in China.
1: Time of the Olympics. It
2: was during the Olympic Games. And the night before I was going to interview Kobe, his people called ESPN and said, who's doing the interview? George Smith. Are there going to be questions about Eagle and and the rape case? And we were like, no, that was years ago, four or five years ago. So he was nervous that... You know I was going to blindside him so he, he came in the room to do this interview and you could just tell by his body language that
1: yep. he didn't They're know really... what to
2: expect and the, it, the interview was all about playing for team USA and basketball because that had been you know four or five years in the past and you know after the interview was done you could just see him relax and he said to me uh sorry you know are you doing all sports now I said no I'm still doing doing <laughs> some, some of the news your things uh but I've I've since interviewed him you know two or three times after that and just—you could just tell by his yeah. body language—he's much, much more relaxed yeah. around me than, than he was uh, that first time.
1: Yeah. And how about the Michael Vick case? That—that that was, that was frightening. A, that to say was, the least. yeah, that was
2: kind of a crazy case because, uh, I mean, it was intense, and you know, the the dog fighting issue was was a hot topic. Um, I I actually think, if he hadn't been a celebrity, he might not have gotten as much time. Uh, it was his first offense. Um, but I think they really went after him. You to make uh, a point? Yep, and his profile, and yep. uh, he certainly he certainly paid a big price. Um, uh, it's also interesting to see he, he never really got to the same level of you know stature as a player, yep. but he still was in the league for a few more years yep. after all that ended.
1: On that note, I, do, I know you've covered some pro golf as well too. Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to? Did you cover any of the Tiger Woods? scandal? I didn't
2: cover any of Tiger's issues off field, um, off the course. I did, I, I've done, I think, two very, very quick one-on-ones with him, you know, right before a tournament, sort of a three-question, you know, how you feel and how's the course set up for you? You know, you get three questions and, and okay, you're done. And then you're zipped so away, okay. so I've zipped met away. him and I've done one-on-ones, but they haven't been substantive okay. or in-depth. They've been pretty quick. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. And yeah, he comes up to
2: you and he's like, "Hi, Tiger," as if I didn't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm George. George. I'm a
2: one-name wonder too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, this is great. It's just to, to see that, you know, you've seen the business and from all facets, you mm-hmm. you know the challenges you've gone from Print to broadcast. Uh, it, it's really wonderful to have that perspective and to have you kind of review that with us is, is fantastic. So thank you. Yeah, my really pleasure.
0: Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover and made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. Like what you've heard, spread the word. Share EQ with friends and connect with us using the hashtag #EveryQuarterPodcast. Podcast. You can also find us at podcast.andover.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse Wallner.